we do not get to sacrifice ourselves for others. You weren't created and designed with a unique purpose and with your value. There are so many other persons out there who need what you've got and you are sacrificing it for one individual who will not see what you have because it takes up something outside of that. The mere fact that they are putting you down and trying to destroy you is because they have not seen the value in you and you just taking and taking and taking just makes them think they ought to take more from you until they have sucked everything out of you. You deserve more than that. And this is what you should not derail and deny yourself the awesomeness of your destiny because some other selfish individual have decided they are too insecure to take charge and do something for themselves. So they decide to take you and focus all their negativity, all their anger, on you by robbing you of your awesomeness of your greatness. You deserve better than that. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 529. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Belkis Clark Mitchum. Belkis, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm going to ask you to share your story because you can tell it better than anybody else. But listeners, I just want you to know that Belkis is incredibly inspiring. She's building her business. Well, you've already had it for quite some time. But uh-huh. now you're you're taking it totally online with a one year old under your belt. You're just <laughs> oh my gosh! Like okay, I I don't mean to be like making it sound like less than it is, but you're inspiring. I mean, I did my business oh. by accident. Without, <laughs> totally by accident. I actually had a discussion with my husband about it earlier this week. He's like, "No, you knew what you were doing." I said, "No, I did not. I just wanted some <laughs> extra money." So exactly. <laughs> so is that how you got into yours as well? And actually, I'm putting the cart in front of the horse today. Why don't you introduce yourself better? Because I did not do you justice. <laughs> That's how I go. Thank you so much for sharing your space with me, Kim. You know, I've been listening to um, you some of your shows and I was like, oh, this is so good. So I feel honored to be here. Oh, thank but, you. Yeah, I was born on a tiny island in the Caribbean called St. Kitts. And when I was like about nine, eight, nine, my parents moved to St. Martin, but we were back and forth. Well, I was back and forth between St. Kitts and St. Martin as I grew up for school, vacations, etc. And yeah, I've lived on several other islands throughout the Caribbean um, since then. Right now, um, we are in the States. Growing up, someone asked me today, what was my childhood like? And I told them it was a mixture of delight and the trauma because I saw my mom worked real hard for us and struggled to make sure we were happy. And I could remember times where we were just all as a family lying on the floor, coloring together and doing all these fun stuff, going to the beach, looking for shells, picking sea grapes, all that kind of things. That was the delight. The horror part of it that really took a toll on me and did a number on my life and impacted me all into adulthood was sexual abuse and incest. And uh, that occurred when I was made. The earliest memory I have was like 
10 years old, but I think I was younger, but you know how trauma affects memory sometimes, the brain, Mm -hmm. when you try to bury things. But I could clearly remember the incidents and how I would hide and how it changed me as a child into teenage years. I became very depressed and uh, I did not know, like, who to talk to because one of the first thing I was told is if you tell anybody, they told me they would kill themselves. So I felt guilty as a child, like, oh my goodness. So I never said a word. And as a matter of fact, it impacted me in such a way that I grew, I started thinking by the time I was 12, I believed that's the only thing that anybody would be, any man would be interested in was to see me for sex. I felt like nobody was seeing me, couldn't see the changes, the pain. I lost myself in books. I read to escape and I was just hoping. I used to beg when I was in sync, it's beg my mom to come home because I just wanted my mother. I would write these long letters, tears every time. But she was working and, you know, it, we would go and visit and stuff like that. And it was really horrible. When I turned, when I was 12, there was a teacher that, you know, went like, hey, come with me to the, the storeroom. Let's get some art supplies for the class. And I was like, oh, me? You mean me? And I was really, you know, I felt so special, you know, teacher's pet kind of like. Um, but when I got there, he closed the door and he pushed me up against the door and he started fondling and forcing oh my himself to kiss me. And that just reinforced for me that whole concept that what is it? Why is it that everybody only think that I'm I'm about sex? And that does a number on your mentality. Um, when I was 16, the day I turned 16, I was being released from the hospital. My first suicidal attempt, my first suicide attempt, I ha- happened days before I, w- I turned 16 and they released me on the bir- my birthday. When I was 16, I would try to attempt suicide several times after that. So all throughout my my childhood, my teenage years, I struggled with self-esteem, self-confidence, not knowing who I was, feeling as if I lost something angry that I'd lost my childhood, it seemed, and really, really distraught and not knowing where to go, who to turn to for help. Um, because the thing I learned about trauma, it's how it rewires your subconscious and your subconscious is your involuntary, supports your involuntary action. It feeds your involuntary action. So trauma bypasses your conscious thinking down into your subconscious to start creating behaviors that aren't really true to who you are. And uh, over the years, I tried suicide many many times and every time they just managed to pull me back from the brink and today I can say that thank God they did I ended up married to a man who was abusive as well because yeah we do repeat the patterns simply because we've been rewired Mm. for that yep and yeah so it's been quite a path Kim from there to hear where I am now helping other individuals who have dealt with hurt and trauma and abuse in their past, in their childhood, or even in their adulthood, helping them to understand how it impacts their relationships, their finances, their careers, business individuals, helping them to understand how their businesses are impacted by the trauma that they have been through and why is it they cannot find the intimacy they crave? Why is it they can't seem to make their business go further than a certain place? Or why is it they self-sabotage and they procrastinate and why is it that certain um, behaviors or attitudes or events trigger a certain reaction in them it is just quite a whole you know 
message that just has to reverberate and it's a matter of getting into people's subconscious to make them aware so that they can take their conscious mind to rewire the subconscious mind so that they in turn can start being who they were destined to be created, to be standing in their truth, knowing purpose and value. And it is definitely an honor to be able to help foster people along that process and, you know, that journey where they go on to know what hope is and happiness is and really understand purpose, their individual purpose and how they bring value to their environment and to the people they meet and just to stand and relish that, you know, so yeah, quite a journey it has been. There are a million stories in between there that I could tell, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> oh, guess when did you become comfortable or when, when did you first share what was going on with you and what brought you to the point that you did feel like you needed to talk about it? Well, comfort uh, <laughs> and then sharing, when I did share and the comfort are two totally different things. I can because, see that, yeah. Yeah, I shared long before I was comfortable. I was forced to share it, actually, because when I was in high school, there was a principal who noticed here was a brilliant student, but my grades were dropping and he could not figure out why. I didn't have a boyfriend. I wasn't skipping school. He could not figure out and he kept pulling me into his office because they became that, our school was that interested. They looked at your grades from term to term to make sure that you were consistently performing. And so it helped them to see what fluctuation, and if there were fluctuations that were concerning, then they know to pull parents in or to talk to the child or whatever. And I would go like, there's nothing. And he kept telling me, can't be nothing. And he kept pushing at me, you know, gently though, not he wasn't overbearing. And I just like, I ain't talking to no dude. You need to step out of my space and just leave me over here trying to be invisible. Okay. <laughs> and, but he kept pushing. And one day I just blurted it out. And that started a series of action that made me just want to hide or die because it was like, what? And so then they brought in the counselor and I got to tell this story again. And they brought in my grandmother and they brought in my mother. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then I got to sit and face my my stepfather. And it was just too much for me. But that was the first time that I shared. I was in high school and it was a teacher who, so though they had some horrible teachers, they had some good ones as well. It was a teacher. There was also, it was a combination of that because I think I, another teacher noticed I was losing, I was always thin, but I was really losing a lot of weight simply be, because of bulimia. Oh, that word always trips me up. Yeah. So I developed eating disorders and she kind of kept questioning me about, she's like, you just seem to be losing a lot of weight. You okay? And when that was mentioned in linked with what I said, yeah, that kind of spiraled things. And so they, I had mandatory counseling. <laughs> wow. But I learned, yeah, I learned to tell the counselors what I thought they needed to hear. Mm. And so that didn't help me any, but no. I used it. Yeah, it didn't. I used it, though, to get out of classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but it was years later, years later, after many suicidal attempts, after being married to an abusive man, very young, losing a baby, I sat down outside one night distraught and it was under the stars beautiful Caribbean night I'll never forget it that I sat there and I 
cried my heart out, pleading to the God of the universe, if you exist, just help me, save me, give me something, anything, Mm -hmm. a little bit of hope. And I cried my eyes out. And because I had grown grown up in a Christian background, with a Christian upbringing, there was um, a scripture verse that, well, the thought that came to me in that moment as I sat there ready to slip my wrist was, I died for you. You do not need to die for anyone else. Wow. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, that's the thought that came to me. And that made me cry even harder, but not sad, pity me cry. It was as if all of a sudden the books that I'd read about loving yourself, this cousin that had come into my life who was really there supporting me, all that they were telling me is as if in that moment something broke. It's as if not die for someone else. It's like, so there is hope. That's how my brain started translating all the positive messages that I couldn't seem to get synced through over the years. Because I read a lot of self-help books. I read all kinds of things, but I used it more to get out of stuff and to tell people what they hear rather than to apply it to trans- for transformation. That's how I used all the self-help that I got. And there was a cousin who had come into my life who stood with me through thick and thin and kept believing in me and pushing me and motivating me, who today still is my go-to person to talk to, be outside of my mom or my husband. It's like I have a little trinity going on right there. So in, in that moment, that thought came to me and somehow it ignited a little bit of hope. Beneath the despair, there was a little light and I, and then All of a sudden, I go like, but why shouldn't I die? He said, for the good that is in you that others need to know. That was the follow-up talk. Somebody else need to know. You need to let them know. I said, I can't let them. And I'm talking to myself in the dark. They say, oh, you shouldn't answer back. I think it's when nobody answers back, not even yourself, answer you back, Mm. you're in trouble. Yeah. Because it means you're totally gone. Yeah. So. I'm having this conversation with tears running down, like, what what can I tell them? And all it says, you will heal so you can let them know there's healing and you will get to hope so you can let them know that there is hope and you will be restored so you can let them know there's restoration. That was my transforming moment. I got myself into counseling. I reread a lot of the books that I'd read before. And how did they I, affect you differently when you reread them? It's it was as if I was reading them for the first time for the because first time, all yeah. of us yeah, all of a sudden now I saw what they were telling me not to use it as an excuse, but to actually if I apply this, what if? You see that big what if? You could use it for positive. Yes. What Yes. What if I tried this? Could this actually happen to me? When I heard other people's story of how they overcame, I'm like, if I actually gave myself a chance, could it be? And is there something good inside of me? I mean, I really was asking myself, is there anything good inside of me? Could it be that I'm worth more than just being a man's sex doll? Us hand rag that he just uses and toss aside. Could I be more than that? What if I actually found what there was to love about me? Could I be better? Could I be different? That started me on a path. And so the books, that's how the books started to help. They made me question, what if? What if I, I don't know if you know, but I was, I was raised Catholic. 
And I, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any tie besides being forced to go to, you know, religious ed because mm-hmm. we didn't have a choice. You know, yeah. we, we had to go to first communion because we were told to. We had to go for, to our first reconciliation because that's the grade that we're supposed to do it. And same with mm-hmm. confirmation. Like, and for Catholics who are listening, I am, I am a Christian today, but I am not a Catholic because I think personally that my children need to decide when they are ready. Mm-hmm. To accept faith yeah. and, and whatever whatever spiritual exactly. belief you are, you have to make that decision. You can't be forced to. Yes, you must. Yes. So after I graduated high school, I did not attend church except for mm-hmm. when I was back home from college breaks. And most of the time it was actually to see people I knew. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a social ex- experience and not a religious so fast forward about 12 years and a friend introduced me to the law of attraction. And, mm-hmm. and at that point I was atheist. Well, not athe- atheist, agnostic. I believed that there was something else out there. Okay. But I, I didn't know what it was at that point. And mm-hmm. I was in an abusive relationship at that time. Mm-hmm. My first marriage, it was mental, not, not physical. And yeah. it was the first time that I realized that I had the right to be happy and that mm. I had the power to make myself happy. Mm-hmm. And that Girl, was huge. You speak in my language. Yep. It is. And I, I was 30 by the time that happened. I had two kids. I was a mom-bee. Okay, like a mom-zombie. I walked around. Uh-huh. I should have, like, I just had a dark cloud over my head all the time. If there was something wrong in my life, it was somebody else's fault. It never had anything yep. to do with me. If my attitude was poor it was somebody else's fault and yep the day that that my friend ed introduced me was just huge and facebook wasn't what it is now it was 2009 i mean there were no facebook groups so i went on and i remember finding a yahoo group and they were all talking about the law of attraction and i looked up everything yeah. that i could and when my mm-hmm. now was been got home from the work that night okay I still have a problem with burning dinner whenever I try to cook I don't really care my husband (laughs) cooks better than I do and he loves to cook so he'd rather do it anyway no he's getting something edible but I can specifically remember that I was attempting to cook chicken and curry the way that he did it and I was doing it all wrong and he started in as soon as he opened the door and I just looked at him and I smiled and I don't know what your ex would have been like but that ticked him off why are you smiling at me? And I said, because you no longer have the right to decide whether or not I'm happy or not. Oh my gosh. That was like, I laugh now thinking about it. And I actually started smiling bigger because I just remember the look on his face. Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm scared because I no longer have the power over her that I used to. Yeah, that is a good moment. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, fast forward two more years from that, I was called to go to church, not like physically on the phone, but God said to me mm-hmm. after I left him mm-hmm. to go to church, and that was a huge awakening. And then fast forward even yeah. to just two years ago, I was suicidal because I was sleep deprived, trying mm-hmm. to please everybody else. We can know what it takes to make us happy. But when we're constantly in that cycle of trying to make everybody else happy and not sleeping while we're trying to build our business, it's bad. So I don't, like your experience that you experienced and you heard what you heard, 
like up until then, would it have been like a, oh, I don't believe that, you know, you're just making this up because my experience, if anybody had told me that it had happened to them before it actually happened to me, I would have been like, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I didn't believe a lot of things. I thought it was just, yeah, you try and sell me something, some story. I, I just, I didn't believe it. And that's the truth. I didn't. And if you really, the thing with not believing is that it closes off the part of you that really leads to transformation. It does. It, it's like a shut door that would not let in what you need. It's as if you want sponge to absorb water, but instead you have put cement, concrete around it. And so there's that block. That's what not believing, not accepting is for a person who is going through their cycles of trauma and stuff. And what you're describing, girl, is so much. It, uh, my ex was a great, he was great in the kitchen, awesome in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're describing a lot of attitudes, a lot of behaviors, a lot of reactions that I'd experienced. A lot of it had to do with belief. And when my spiritual life became aligned, like, honestly aligned, not just in, out, here, there, or because when I decided I didn't want what, just what my mother told me, my grandmother told me, or what the preachers were telling me, I wanted to know for myself, that was the beginning of an internal revolution that could not stay internal. Yes. yes I had an amazing conversation when I was going, let me back up a second. After I left my ex that first weekend, was when mm -hmm. I was called to go to church and I cried my way through service. My, mm -hmm. my church here in Ohio is a mega church and it's like, they have a rock band on stage. You go and whatever you're wearing, it is not a show. Like you don't dress up mm -hmm. to go to church just to see what compliments you get. Like you go to church to be there for mm -hmm. your face and for God. And I cried my way through service. And I had this amazing conversation with my first friend that I ever made here. And I was concerned because divorce, you know, it's not great. No. You're not you're not supposed to divorce. And and she her family's always been deeply spiritually rooted. She taught me so much. And listeners, this is not normally such a, a religiously rooted show, but there's a reason why I'm sharing this. She actually said to me, she said, Kim, you got married for all the wrong reasons and God knows that. You got married because oh, you were pregnant. She said, God knows that your marriage vows were not because of God and because of your love. They were because that was like the societal expectations. So you need to alleviate yourself from those concerns and know that you're That's doing true. what is right. You gave me shivers just now <laughs> because I had, I didn't have somebody telling me that everybody kept telling me to stay with an abusive man who basically would have killed me. You know, I've been dragged across the floor by my hair, slammed up against the wall, choked till I almost passed out, made to sleep in the car, threatened to put me pushed down the stairs, all kind of things that had. And people, the Christian folks were telling me to stay, you, you know, because that's what the Bible says. But I came to that similar realization, but I had to do that through God. And that's how I learned to hear God's voice for myself. When he told, when I realized that I did get married for all the wrong reasons, I was trying to escape a home molester, 
a person who was molesting me at home and rushed into this marriage because I was looking for love and I was looking to not have to, I don't want to sleep with this guy and that guy and just be used by everybody. I wanted love and somebody to, who would see past the, the dirt and the, the filth of who I had been and see the value in me and love me regardless of all of my past. I was looking for that. So I rushed into this marriage with this guy and that turned out to be hard. And I, lo- I had to learn that it was because of that that I got married. The Bible said, they, well, the vows say, to who God have put together, let no man tear asunder. Well, God did not put us together. That's the difference. Right. I put, you understand, there was yes. something that pushed me here that was not of God right. because I was outside of God at that point. And I didn't mean to preach on your show, girl. No, but that's, I, <laughs> I know there's somebody listening who needs to hear this. And no matter what situation you're in, there's always a way out. And I'm, not, right. I'm not trying to advocate for leaving your marriage. No. But if it's not safe for you, then there's no reason why you need to stay. <clears throat> there's, and, and I left, Belkis, I was unemployed and uh-huh. I had $100 when I left. Well, I, didn't, I didn't even have that. Yeah, and... and in- and by some stroke of luck, I was able to find like an income subsidized apartment complex that gave me, they let me move in for $75 and they gave me the first, like the second month free. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. So in that time I found, I got a job at Chipotle because I had lost my job several years before. I was an interior architect for a decade, but mm-hmm. I had lost my job when the economy tanked. So I got a job at Chipotle. I was a cashier and mm-hmm. I went on to economic or food stamps and Medicaid and I did what I had to do so I could do what I want to do and I knew there was I could not keep my boys in that house learning that Mm -hmm. that was okay that's right and we can't keep ourselves whether it's a abusive client relationship or customer relationship or an abusive relationship with a significant other or even an abusive relationship with a child because I've had guests on who were abused by their own children we have yeah. the right and the power to remove ourselves, no matter how and little we have in our name. And it's not love to stay. No. It is because to have the ability to pass love on to someone, meaning it first must be possessed by you for you. And if you, even God says, if you, how can you love him? And if you can't love who you can see and you love him who can't see, it must first, he ignites that in you and you've got to love you. And then it flows out to others. It's not love to stay. God, we are not created to be put down. We are not created to be suppressed and oppressed. We are not created just so that somebody can come into our space and destroy the very best that is, is in us. That good, that little seed that is in you deserve a chance to take root in good ground so that it can flourish. You deserve to know what your potential is. Look at you, Kim. Had you not moved from there, would you be where you are? Your own podcast, your own business, your kids are thriving. You would not be there today. A lot of the times with some false sense of sacrifice and false idea of love, we think that by staying that we are helping this individual, you cannot do anything good enough that will make an abuser love you for who you are and stop abusing you. You cannot love that. That takes a little bit more than you. Amen. 
Yes. It, it does. And we do not get to sacrifice ourselves for others. You weren't created and designed mm-hmm. with a unique purpose and with your value. There are so many other persons out there who need what you've got. And you are sacrificing it for one individual who will not see what you have because it takes up something outside of that. The mere fact that they are putting you down and trying to destroy you is because they have not seen the value in you. And you you just taking and taking and taking just makes them think they ought to take more from you until they have sucked everything out of you. You deserve more than that. And this is what you should not derail and deny yourself the awesomeness of your destiny because some other selfish individual have decided they are too insecure to take charge and do something for themselves. So they decide to take you and focus all their negativity, all their anger on you by robbing you of your awesomeness, of your greatness. You deserve better than that. How are you taking this fire and using it today? Today, <laughs> I am, this is what I do for my, for my clients. I am I'm a coach, a, transforma- a spiritual transformational coach, because I do believe that we were first a spiritual concept, and then we were manifested in our physical being. So if the spiritual isn't aligned, the physical will just be pretty on the outside, but death and decay on the inside. So we do, so I'm a spiritual transformation and life, life goal. We revisit what is broken, what is hurting, why you're repeating the same mistakes, why your relationships aren't working, why your finances seem to just be all over and your career ain't seem to be going nothing and why your business just isn't taking off how you're supposed to. I take it either from an entrepreneurial level or from the individual level. We look at the abuse, the trauma that you've been through. Not so that you can revisit the pain, but it's like a pipe that's dripping. Now, the drip could be the source of the problem. But sometimes when you explore that drip, you find it's not there that's the problem. You may have several leaks in your wall. So you need to heal your source. And that's what we do. We heal the source. Then we find then we look at your unique purpose. I'm not talking about a general purpose that everybody is here for a purpose. Yes, everybody is here for a purpose. But what is are what you are designed for, the thing that resonates and make you go, yes, 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 and stirs a fire in you. And when we've got purpose, what we do then is set goals that align with that purpose that is unique to you. Because we also establish, I establish with my clients, what is it that makes you happy? What does your happiness look like? Because a lot of us say we want happiness or we want a good marriage or we want a nice person, a good man, a good woman. But what does that look like? So we sit down and we put their dream together on paper so they could see it, what they really desire, what they're afraid to admit. And we, we pull it out and put it there so that we know what we're working towards. And then we put goals broken down into steps that's aligned to that. That's purpose. Oh, I love that. And if you had the universe, I'm just going to put, I'm going to say the universe or God or whoever found you during your suicide attempts had not helped you. If you had not made it through, then you would not be able to help people the way that you are today. No, I have found, like, I had a few previous guests who used the phrase, your mess makes your message. And I completely agree Mm -hmm. because I did not know my message. I was floundering like mm-hmm. like a, a big fish in an almost empty puddle before <laughs> my mess made my message. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But after I woke up and realized 
the mess that made my message is the sleep deprivation and saying yes to everybody else and not having our own support and systems in place so mm-hmm. that we don't have the self-care in place. If I had not gone through that myself, then I wouldn't be so would passionate about what I'm doing today. That's right. And that is what why I am so on fire for my clients. So when I stand on a stage and I'm delivering my message, the truth is, Kim, I am concerned that it would reach the people who it needs to reach in that moment. I do not worry about anything else in that moment. When I am done with a speaking engagement, I take a few days for myself. Do you know why? Because in my message, I empty myself out. I empty it. I empty out the experience, the hopes, the wishes, the dreams that I have for the individual who is hurting and broken in that audience who needs to hear what it is that I'm saying. I empty it out. And I would not know that or how to do that, like you said, unless I had walked the path. I've been through there. I know what it takes for healing. I know how hard it can be. I know about repeating cycles. I know about what it takes to break the habits that that are formed as a result of. I know how hard it is sometimes to build self-confidence when you think you've got nothing to be confident about. I know what it is to not want to accept the truth of who you are. Oh my goodness, don't I know? I don't want to accept that I was turning into a little liar. So now I don't like dishonesty. That's the extreme. Oh my gosh, you and I both. I lied. <laughs> I lied yeah. to protect myself uh-huh. multiple times every day mm-hmm. with my ex-husband. We yeah. were like I yeah. I knit. Like I, I taught myself how to knit because I wasn't allowed to leave the house. Like he would he would go so far as to take the keys, take the car seat, take the stroller, so that mm. if I wanted to leave the house with my son. Mm-hmm. I had to carry him and he was a big kid. So he knew that was not <laughs> happening. So I taught myself to knit. And if there was a day that there was a doctor's appointment, yes, I would be out an hour longer than I should have been because I would find the nearest craft store to buy myself some yarn. Yeah, and I, you lie. And I would lie about it. Yeah. So when I left I, that, I, I did, when yeah. I left that marriage, I decided I am not lying anymore. Exactly. So there are points when it is so painful. I don't like listeners. I'm going to be totally honest. There are times when I'm not going to meet a deadline with a client, but I realize that I can either lie or I can mm-hmm. just be dead honest. And what I found is that honesty really is the best policy. Not to take that phrase, yes, but but it is the truth. When you tell the truth, most of the time, yeah. the clients are completely understanding, and the ones that I've found who aren't usually aren't the clients that I should be working with anyway. Hello, talk to me now. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> have just inspired me so much, by the way, like when you were on fire, like five minutes ago, I didn't know what I want to be like on stage until I heard you like that. Like, ah. because I can see how I could get just as I, I mean, I don't mean heated in a in a bad way at all. But just so no, passionate about what yeah. I'm trying to teach that and what I'm trying to speak about, that's exactly how I want to be. And that is the thing you want to be because you want to make sure that you are given the best of you every time. And the best of you is usually based on your innate passion. 
that fire in you, you need it. That is what basically cooks your message to a well-done meal. Mm -hmm. So you want to get into your place of your passion when you stand to teach something to someone. And I am when it comes to inspiring hope, telling people about their hope, their healing, their purpose, their value, their truth, and how it frees them and what will happen as a result, man, I could go on for days on it and not lose momentum. Because, you know, you, I don't, just so you know, you are giving me so much clarity. Listeners, I think I've shared before, but every single guest episode, it's like free coaching for Kim. I Sometimes I don't feel like I need to invest in coaching anymore, which I think we all should, by the way. But I, I feel like I've gotten a million dollars of free coaching through my own podcast, which doesn't seem quite fair. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was struggling to figure out what I want to speak about. And I, you just clarified it all for me when I heard your passion, because I realized that if I can't get up there and speak with that passion about the topic, then why mm -hmm. am I getting up there in the first place? So you just actually you just crossed yes. out all but one of the topics on my speaking on my, on my one sheet. And I, I need to re look at that because now I can go put out proposals or whatever they're called in the speaking world yes listeners mm -hmm. that's how much speaking i've done <laughs> and, and be so passionate in my proposal that that's right they'd be dumb not to take me like okay that, that was real i'm not a narcissist but that's how i'd feel because now it's not going to be just a humdrum okay yeah. i'll come in and it's talk like, like this if this I is were you yes i would hire me too yeah <laughs> yeah exactly oh yeah, and uh, you should don't apologize for the confidence that you feel in what you do. I think we spend too much of our lives apologizing as it is, simply because we are so society so give us this idea that humility should be clothed in negativity about ourselves. And I so don't believe that. That that's a false sense of humility as far as I'm concerned. You can be humble without speaking negative about yourself and you can be humble and speak well of yourself. So I always so 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 embrace it. If they don't hire you, they'll be missing something. And it's okay to own that. That's incredible. Thank you for the reminder. I grew up in Rochester, New York, which is really close to Canada. So I like to say that I got the sorry from Canada. <laughs> oh wow so maybe it's not as prevalent in the caribbean i don't never know if i say oh, that no, right me. but oh it my is. gosh canada they say like sorry every other sentence sorry but not sorry canada you know it's true <laughs> yeah i i think we apologize a lot we um, do yeah we do we are we i mean somebody bump into you and you apologize and you apologize yeah that's what what are you sorry for that they almost run you over like, right really yeah <laughs> <laughs> what are you most excited about in the next 90 days? Oh, wow. In the next 90 days, I am looking, let's say, wait, November, December, January. That takes us to like February. Yep. I am excited at one, my podcast that I'm, I'm going to launch. And the two, being a speaker at, on the stage at Black CEO 19. Hello. I am excited about that. I'm excited about my new program that is coming online. I am just super, super stoked. And for the more people that I can touch, impact and help to really revolutionize their lives, get to their space of legendary transformation. Those are the things that really, oh, and do you know there's Christmas in there? Oh my gosh, I love Christmas. Sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, I love Christmas too. And I thought I would have my shopping all done by today. I haven't even started. That makes two of us. Every time I sit down to put to finalize my list, something else pops up and my husband keep going like, so you done yet? No. Well, I just want one year when we're not shopping on Christmas Eve. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I just want one year where we're not still shopping or trying to find where in the house we hid the presents because that's what happened last year. We could not find three boxes. And yeah, they surfaced, but I'm, I'm committed to that not happening this year. Because I've loved every single second of this chat. Where can listeners find you online, get to know more about you and connect? Oh, wow. They can find me. I'm all over social media. They can find Belkis Clark on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I am there. And they can also find me via my website, www.belkisclark.com. And there's a free gift for them. So they just got to do www.belkisclarke.com forward slash Kim. And you'll be able to get your free gift. That's just for you. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. And listeners, all the links and social media profiles will be linked up in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP529. I know some of you might be driving, working out, what have you. So it'll be right there for you. Again, I have enjoyed, you have been so inspiring. And I can't wait to hear how your speaking event goes in 2019 and just connect with you again in February and again in April. Oh my gosh. Yes. We're on this it's journey together, lady. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Thank you so much. Like just for everything, for what you're doing in the world. So, so many men and women. And I, I need to say men too, because yes. men go through their own traumatic experiences. I know that sure. you have a audience of, more women, but there are men who need you too. So thank you for what you are doing. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Definitely. Life is too short for you to live in the shadows. We were created by light in light. When you are born, you go from the darkness of womb and you come out into a world of light. Do not retreat Do not surrender. You deserve to cover your grounds, to claim your grounds, to stand in your purpose, to stand in your truth, to know your value because there is value in you. And then to unleash that so that it reverberates across your environment, starting first with you, your family, and then out to the other people that you interact with. You bring transformation everywhere you go, but you can only transform your environment when you yourself are transformed and you can do it and deserve it. You need to know that life is too short to live in the shadows. Do not give someone else the power of your light. Claim it for yourself. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.